Welcome back to episode three of Vet Together. Coming up on today's show, I'm answering loads and loads of your questions. And also, we are chatting with a deputy president. So whether you're cleaning the fish tank out or having a nap with a cat, stick with us because this is one you do not want to miss. This podcast is sponsored by Zilkeen, a calming supplement made with a natural ingredient for cats and dogs. Zilkeen can help your pet cope during stressful situations such as separation, loud noises and changes to their routine. Speak to your vet today for more information. You you might be able to pick up there's a bit of a difference with the sound quality this week. Huh? What are you saying? That's because I listened to your feedback and it's no longer appropriate for me to be using my free headphones I got with my phone. Instead, I went and bought a microphone. What are we saying about that? Talk about professional. So now I'm sitting in the spare room uh, on with the microphone. Is the microphone's from Torquay, by the way? I had to drive all the way to Torquay, so I hope it is making a difference. Uh, that's set up on the ironing board. I'm surrounded by the washing to try and absorb some of the sound, but I can literally I can pick up. There's a there's a there's a fly buzzing, or there's the chicks chirping at the bottom of the stairs. I'm picking all that up through my headphones. I've got the headphones in the microphone as well. I'm just hoping that you can't now hear all of the extra noise that comes with living in the countryside so apologies if you can but on we move so i'm going to start with an update on sprout because she has done so so well a lot of you've been asking how she's getting on living outside she is fully graduated from our kitchens sharing oliver's bed to living 100 percent her best sheep life out in the flock with the others in the paddock she does however know exactly when and where we are and what time we'll be walking past because we kind of you know we meet for breakfast club and then we have afternoon tea together where i take out her bottle and then we have a supper just before bed um yeah it's true i know it's pathetic but it is amazing and i do love her um and so and so she's doing really really well but I do think Oliver, our, you know, one-eyed Labrador, I do think he's missing her a little bit from sharing, sharing our house. You know, they used to charge around the garden together. They used to play in the lounge together, chasing ball. So we are trying to make sure that they do still get a little bit of time together. So I'm taking Oliver out and he just sort of wanders around the field and Sprout trots along with him. So it's all very adorable to the point that Twitter has now called her Sprout the Lamrador. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I just think is genius. You always, if you're never sure of what to do, always turn to social media because people will give you the answers to the questions that you didn't even know needed asking. And on that note, I think we should move on to some of your questions because my inbox this week has gone crazy. It has exploded with questions coming in from you guys on social media and on email. So again, do get in touch with me. You can contact me on Instagram at vettogetherofficial or drop me an email on vettogetherofficial at gmail.com. So the first question that we've got, I'm going to try and get through as many of these as we can because we've got a few. Um, so this one is from He's just put ET as the uh, as the username. Uh, I can feel my eight year old Maine Coon's ribs, and his spine feels rather bony. Should I be worried and feed him more? He last weighed in at seven and a half kilos, but I've moved him onto senior food recently, and he's not the biggest fan of the stuff. Okay, so Maine Coons, if people don't know, are huge. They are like the big cuddly teddy bears of the cat world. They are gorgeous. So while seven and a half kilograms sounds massive for a cat, actually for a Maine Coon, that's probably about right. Um, and the other thing I would say is at eight years old, I would also agree. I think getting them onto a senior food now is a really, really good idea. But what I would say 
is that cats, it is quite well recognised that cats are quite fastidious when it comes to the food. They do kind of need a bit of a menu to choose from, you know. I mean, how classic is that of cats? They're not just prepared to eat what what we put down for them. They actually want a choice. And that's now documented. So now we have got to give them a choice. Um, So what I would say with that is that it might well be that he, two things. One, he might just need longer to get used to the food. So make sure you're transitioning any diet change really slowly, maybe over sort of two or three weeks. And secondly, it might might just be worth looking at getting a a few different flavors within that brand of food so that you can offer him some variation while sticking within the same brand and keeping him on the senior diet. Although I would still say if you've noticed some some sort of changes around his ribs and spine, if he's losing a bit of weight, I would also, it goes without saying, just contact your own vet because there are things that can creep in to our, with our older pets that can start very subtle. Um, and the sooner we pick it up, you know, the, the, the better chance we'll have of, of managing it. So I would say if you've also noticed a bit of, a bit of weight loss to, to maybe contact your vets. Okay. So this is from Sean. How much walking should a dog about 13 years old have per day? Okay. Walking our dogs and exercising our dogs is something very individual to to our own dogs, to be honest. I think it depends. At 13, you may well... I'm wondering whether the reason you're asking the question might be because you've you've noticed some changes in their hips, maybe in their joint mobility, um, whether there's some signs of arthritis creeping in. And in which case, it's again, it's important to address that because it might be that we need to even offer him some pain relief to, to keep him walking. If you've noticed that your dogs don't want to walk as long or that they start to limp when you get home, um, it might be that you're exercising them a little bit too much for what their joints can cope with. But also you can actually help them a huge amount with that. Arthritis is something that's very common. I know we talked about it last week. It's very common, but it's also incredibly painful. And, and it is something that we do need to sort of really take quite seriously. I know it sounds like a very normal thing for an older dog to get arthritis, but that doesn't mean we should ignore it. I think it's really important that we that we do uh, we do treat these older pets. So when it comes to how much walking per day, what I would do is just try and sort of look at that fairly objectively yourself. So it is good to keep them moving. It's good to keep him uh, exercising for his general well-being, for his fitness, for his mental health. So what you want to do is walk an older dog to the point that they feel comfortably fulfilled in terms of exercise and what have you but not to the point where they are absolutely flat out and sometimes it takes us to implement that onto our dogs if you've got certain breeds of dogs a classic would be a a collie dog for example a border collie that is just mind is sharp as a whistle but the body just can't keep up but they will go and go and go and go and it's important for us as owners to say actually i'm going to just pull that back a little bit and use other ways to, to exercise their mind. So, you know, using mind games when you get home, uh, using scent games, are really good ways of keeping their minds active without having to put too much strain on their body. So there isn't really a golden rule to how much, but what I would do is say it's important not to go too far with them, but definitely do keep them, keep them moving and keep them active. Well, I would probably actually start a bit of a diary and say, just look at what types of walking you're doing at the moment. What sort of terrain that's on? Is it on smooth ground? Is it on fields? Is it on tarmac? And almost grade how well he's coping with it when not only when you're on the walk, but also when you get home. Look at what he's like. Is he staying in his bed longer when you get home? Is he limping the next day? Those sorts of things indicate that actually you've probably walked him a little bit too much the day before. Another really important thing for older dogs is to do the same amount of exercise every single day. What you don't want to do is a massive walk at the weekend and then sort of short round the block 
o'clock walks, you know, at, during the week. And also you might even want to think about some of the complementary therapies as well. Things like physiotherapy, hydrotherapy, they're great for older dogs. So again, have a little look into, into whether some of those options might be good, a good idea for you as well. Right. So this is from Bethan and she's asking if your chickens wattle and coma paler than usual, is this a problem and what could it mean? Really good question. I mean, I am a a self-confessed poultry fanatic myself. Uh, We have a number of hens outside. We're thinking about getting some geese and we're desperate to get some ducks. So I am here for the chickens. If anybody's got chicken questions, bring them in. Very good question. And yes, it, it could indicate a number of things. It, sometimes it will go slightly paler when they're coming into lay, but more often than not, it could indicate that actually they are starting to become a bit anemic. And the most common cause of hens to become anemic would be due to parasites. So that's normally mites, which can either be northern fowl mites or red mites. And there's a few others, but those are the more, more common two that we see. Now, northern fowl mites, if you have a look at the very base of the chicken's feathers, you will actually see the mite running around on the skin. Red mite, you won't see those on the birds unless it's in the middle of the night. So red mite tends to live in the chicken sort of coop itself. And then at night, it crawls out along the uh, the perch and crawls onto the bot onto the chicken, and then that's when it sucks the chicken's blood. So both mites feed from the chicken's blood. The question is which type of mite might be causing the anemia if that's what it is. The way to find it, because obviously you can see northern fowl mite on your on your chicken itself. The way to diagnose if you've got red mite, though, is to get maybe the inside of a kitchen roll, um, get the cardboard tube and sellotape that to the underside of your um, of your of your chicken's perch. And then the next morning, go out and take the uh, take the, the tube out and have a look inside it and see if you can see any little red specks, because if you can, then that would indicate that you've got red mite, because what they'll think you see, the mite will crawl into the into the tube, thinking it's sort of a nook and cranny of the uh, of the chicken coop. Your other option is to just go out in the middle of the night, to be honest, with a torch and have a look along the perch and have a look underneath things like the feeders, along the edges of the of the chicken coop. Any nooks and crannies is where the, the, the sort of the, the red mite likes to sort of sit and harbour. And then they kind of crawl out from there. It sounds like a bit of a nightmare, doesn't it? It sounds like something from from <laughs> some from horror story that these things are going to crawl out. I can feel people itching now as I'm saying this. Are you itching your head as I'm talking? I'm very, very sorry. But that's the, that's the way to diagnose the two. If you do discover those again talk to your vet and we can give you some anti-parasite treatment to, to put on them either way just talk to us and we can help you out great right i think we should i could do this all day i mean i've literally got hundreds of questions to get through um should we just do one more quickly let's see uh oh this, <laughs> this is quite nice this isn't really a question but it's a nice one to end on can you house train a lamb <laughs> from mia in brackets kids now want one as well as a dog thanks for that <laughs> oh i am so so sorry all i can say if this helps in any way i categorically promise you from experience i can tell you now that it is impossible to house train a lamb so i hope i hope that might just help to uh to put to bed some of the questions from the kids about whether you should be getting a lamb like sprout (laughs) i don't know what i've started here that's my responsible vet cap back on so right let's move on to our guest this week i said earlier 
that I've invited a deputy president onto the show. And I mean exactly that. They say, you know, that you are what you eat. And more so probably now than ever, this is, uh, there's a growing interest in where our food comes from and kind of how it's produced, how it's made, and what effect that has on the environment. And now, whether this is kind of uh, the food we're eating, whether it's the food we eat in a restaurant, whether it's the food that we feed to our pets, this is something that's going to affect absolutely all of us. And it's a, and it's a hot topic right now. Now, the reason I'm talking about this, there is a side to veterinary medicine that, that not many people necessarily realise. And I get a lot of questions from, from younger people asking about how to get into veterinary medicine. And this is a side that is sort of something that I actually find quite interesting, but also I'm hugely passionate about. So when you're training to become a vet, you have to learn everything from farm to the horsework, um, the exotics, the small animals. But you also learn quite a lot about something called veterinary public health, which is, uh, I can hear you all yawning now. Please stay with me on this because it is actually really interesting. It's more commonly nowadays termed one health, which is basically the interaction between our animal health, our human health and the health of the environment that we all live in. Now, this is obviously pretty topical stuff. And so today's guest, we're going to take a little detour from the, from the dogs and the cats and, and the, and the pet chat. And we're going to delve right on in to the world of British farming. And the main reason I, I kind of wanted to talk about this from a one health perspective is that whether you are a vegan or vegetarian or whether you choose to eat meat, our relationship with the food we eat and our climate, as well as the animals and the, and the, the animal welfare, as well as human health as well, the three of them all are completely interconnected. And it's such an important topic right now. Some of you may have seen that uh, Jamie Oliver put out a post, a very heartfelt post about this exact topic. Um, and he's also brought in his mate, Jimmy Doherty from, from, you know, you may have seen on the TV as well. And they're supporting this campaign by the NFU to try and launch a petition to encourage people to think more about the food that we're eating and protect the, the standards of food that we have in this country from both a climate change point of view, as well as an animal welfare point of view. Now, I wanted to learn a little bit more about this and I wanted to share it with you because it is such a hot topic and you're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the next few months. And it is genuinely something that affects all of us. So I put out a few emails. Now, Jamie Oliver unfortunately came back and said that he wasn't taking any further interviews. But Stuart Roberts, who is a farmer himself, but also the deputy president of the National Farmers Union, replied saying that he would love to come on and talk to us about the petition that they've launched and just talk to us a little bit more about farming at the moment. So I asked him a few questions. Stuart, thank you so much for uh, for coming on back together this, this afternoon. Absolute pleasure. So to kick things off, I thought the easiest thing to do is I'm just going to go straight into it and ask you, can you tell us about this agricultural bill? Yeah, so um, look, the agriculture bill uh, covers a, a wide, wide range of issues. Uh, but the real heart of the issue and, and, and what's behind uh, our current petition, for example, uh, is the uh, the whole area around uh, food standards. And particularly when it comes to trade, um, we as British farmers are rightfully proud that we have uh, some of the highest animal welfare standards in the world, some of the highest environmental standards in the world. Uh, and we're keen to uh, preserve those in this country, but also apply those same standards to imported products. Now, we've all heard the debate around chlorinated chicken, for example, that gets thrown around the media. But what I wanted to know from Stuart's point of view, what really sets British farming apart from farming practices in some of the other parts of the world? Now, I look at the big threat 
threats to the world today. Okay, so let's we've got through COVID. We're the other side of COVID. Two big threats. One is climate change, uh, and the other for me is antimicrobial resistance. Uh, the industry in this country has absolutely stepped up when it comes to antimicrobial resistance. Year after year after year, we have cut our use of antibiotics in animals. One, because it's the right thing for the animals, but two, because it addresses that global challenge of, of antimicrobial resistance. That does not happen in other parts of the world. In some parts of the world, uh, yeah, we are still, in some areas, destroying some of the most biodiverse parts of the planet um, to produce food and 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 that can't be right we've all battled through these incredibly challenging times lately with the coronavirus outbreak and i was really keen to know from stuart whether he thinks that will have an impact on us and possibly our relationship to food something i, I hope that will will come out of of covid19 is I think we are seeing people taking more of an interest in food. We're certainly seeing people uh, doing a lot more cooking from scratch. Mm. And I think a legacy, a really positive legacy, could actually be about people just asking more questions about their food. You know, where did it come from? How was it produced? Um, and that, for me, is, 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 is also an indicator as to why the, the petition we've got, which, yes, it's about import standards, but also I think underneath it is people who have a genuine interest in the standards their food is produced to, uh, is knocking on a million names at the moment. One of the things that struck me as a vet when I was training and has kind of followed me all the way through when it comes to farming is just how powerful the consumer actually is you know we are making choices every single day when we buy food off the shelf and the impact that that has on you know our demand and supply the the relationship between the two and it was really reassuring to hear that Stuart also shared those same thoughts it's been a real pleasure James that you make a really important point that every single one of us who who buys any food stuff at any point in the day is able to make a conscious choice that can influence how that that food is produced uh and that's a really powerful thing thank you very much and we'll see you real pleasure thanks james bye so that was my chat with Stuart Roberts, the Deputy President of the National Farmers Union. Now, we did talk a lot about other things and we went into a lot more detail, but I wanted to keep the message on the podcast quite succinct because I think it's really important for me that you don't see this as, as some sort of political podcast or anything like that. I'm simply trying to come at this from a an animal welfare and an environmental uh, point of view and I think more important than anything is is that we are just aware and that we are educating ourselves into what it means when you make choices what it means when you eat in the restaurants you eat in when you go to the shop when you buy things off the supermarket shelf when you buy your sandwich on the way to work the, these choices that we make every single day have an impact on so much more than just what it is that you're buying I am hugely passionate about it because I care about the environment and I really care about animals. So if it is something that you feel interested in and you and you do want to learn more, then you can go to the National Farmers Union website, which is nfuonline.com and take a look at the petition. And on that note, that brings us to the end of episode three. So it leaves me just enough time to say a massive thank you to you for listening and for all of your questions on email and on Instagram. Please keep them coming in. I will try and answer more and more each week. And if you are enjoying that together, which I really hope you are, then please do hit subscribe and 
don't know, maybe even leave a little five-star rating. <laughs> I'm not going to force it on you, but I would massively appreciate. Um, but either way, I would like to say a massive thank you to our guest, Stuart Roberts, for coming on and giving us such an informative and useful rundown of the Agricultural Bill and the petition. Have a fantastic week and I will chat with you again very soon. Thank you.